0: The Golf and Filtered podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. I am so excited to partner with them once again in 2022 because they've got a lot of great stuff going on, including an entirely redesigned and renovated driving range and practice area. It's got top tracer. It's got, what, like 42 heated bays, individually heated, by the way. And it's even got a food truck and much, much more, such as two bars. Yeah, that's right. Go out to Coghillgolf.com today to learn a little bit more, and of course, you already know about all their great golf courses, Coghillgolf.com. We're also pleased to continue to work with our friends at WorldwideGolfShops.com. You've heard me talk about them many times before. They've got everything you need for golf. They've got apparel, accessories, training aids, all the new equipment. They've got deals like every single day, and going out to WorldwideGolfShops.com might just help you improve your game this golf season. WorldwideGolfShops.com. Welcome to the Golf Unfiltered podcast, your source for all things golf, including in-depth interviews, new equipment highlights, and answers to golf questions you might be too afraid to ask. My goal? To help you learn more about the game so you can enjoy it even more. Let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. It's nice to speak with all of you again. You can find me on social media at Golf Unfiltered. And you can send me an email, adam at golfandfilter.com. I hope everyone's doing great out there listening to this. It is the middle, actually more the end of January now, and in Chicago it is cold, cold, cold. I think it might get up to 10 degrees today. We are expecting more snow, which means that I am not going anywhere near a golf course anytime soon, which is always sad, but we deal with it every single year. But if you're like me, you like to stay busy, you like to learn more about golf, even in the off-season, And here at Golf Unfiltered in 2022, we are researching questions that we receive either via email, social media, even TikTok. We do have that TikTok out there. Please go out and give us a follow. We answer questions from new golfers that perhaps they're a little maybe hesitant to ask their friends who have been playing much longer. An example of such a question is, what's the difference between forged irons and cast irons? Now, golfers like you and me, we've been playing for a while, we see those two terms, we know exactly what they mean. But do we know everything that goes into those terms and to make the golf clubs that we're actually talking about? And so that's today's topic. I'm going to talk about the differences at a relatively high level, might get a little bit deeper, on the differences between forged and cast. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So when we talk about forged versus cast, we want to talk about the manufacturing processes that brands use to create these golf clubs. Let's start with forged first. So as the name implies, an iron in this case, and of course, forging can be used for many different things like wedges and even the faces of some drivers these days. But forging means that they are literally forging a golf club head out of a piece of solid metal. In golf, this starts out as a piece of solid steel, in most cases, called a billet. Now, I realize all of that isn't the most exciting thing to listen to, but let's just picture what this means. So picture like a a piece of solid, like a block or a rod of metal, of steel in this instance. And what they do, you know, think think about a blacksmith. For example, you know, maybe you watch The Witcher on Netflix or something like that. And what they do is they heat this piece of metal up to an insane temperature. And while blacksmiths will take a an anvil and a hammer and they will, you know, beat that piece of metal into a sword. It's actually not too much different for clubheads following the forged manufacturing process. Some very fancy machines at some very expensive warehouses and factories will beat this piece of metal into the shape of an iron club head. And what happens next, which really differs a lot from cast, which we'll talk about in a minute, is there's more work that needs to be done before this golf club can be assembled. This is where you start hearing terms like grain flow forging or... Or CNC milling. There's a lot of different things that go into shaping a clubhead that's been forged from a piece of metal. Because if you picture it, you essentially have this blank clubhead that's in the shape of a clubhead that we all know. But additional detail needs to be added to it. So very skilled craftsmen will go in and they will grind the metal. They will buff it. They will shape it further to whatever specs that the brand needs. And in many instances, what the player needs in a custom fit. Forging, because of the metals used, is also a softer process insofar as the clubhead, the final product, is a softer build. This is why a lot of the uh, low handicappers that you might know and certainly the tour pros prefer forged because these, these clubs can be bent as much as five degrees upright or, or uh, flat in many instances in order to really perfectly fit the golf swing for one of these very talented players. Now, that's not to say that higher handicap players won't benefit from Forge. That's not my point. But the end product results in a very soft feel, a golf club that is highly workable, and in many instances, the iron in this case will fall under the category of a muscle back or a blade, if you want to think of it that way. Now, I no, some of you are listening to this, maybe rolling your eyes a little bit. There's certainly no standard or there's no one-size-fits-all approach to this. I mean, we have forged clubs that can be cavity backs as well. Technology has definitely improved and expanded and grown to the point where you could pretty much make anything with these machines and make a golf club look however you want it to look. Another quick side note, and this is something that I learned recently, is whenever you look at a... Uh, an iron, and it has forged written on it, whether it be on the sole or on the neck or on the heel, wherever, that doesn't necessarily mean that the entire clubhead is forged. My understanding is that it could also refer to only the face being forged, which at that point, a different manufacturing process is required in order to get that face on a, more often than not, cast clubhead. Very Interesting. So it ver- it really does pay off to do the research that is required before making a purchase of whatever irons you're, you're thinking about. A couple of the, I don't want to say misnomers or misconceptions about playing with forged irons, and I've definitely done so, is that only low handicap golfers can play these things. I, I mentioned earlier that you are more than likely uh, to see a low handicapper playing forged irons. That just happens to be something that happens. But any golfer can benefit from playing forged irons. It really just boils down to feel, and it boils down to shot trajectory, and you want to make sure that you always base your decisions on club buying on ball flight, in my opinion. That's why it's so important to go and get fit, to see what your shot is actually doing with whatever club that you're hitting. One of the things that, because forged irons in most instances, are softer, and because they typically are thinner, which leads it to being maybe a muscle back, is the feel and the 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 response that you get when you make contact with the golf ball. You're going to know when you hit that that shot off the toe or towards the heel or anywhere other than the center of the club face, and that's not a bad thing. That's something that a lot of players prefer. I'm one of those players, actually. A lot of times these club heads are also smaller, a little bit more compact than perhaps you would see in a cast iron. But I would just caution, because there's a lot of great stuff out there these days, and even over the last few years, irons have, have changed. What maybe was true 2015, maybe even 10 years ago, isn't true now. You can get as much playability for a wide range of handicap levels with a forged iron as you can with a cast And yes, there are many tour pros that use cast irons as well. So, on that point, transitioning to cast and thinking about that manufacturing process, it does differ a great deal at a very high level. And I will preface this by saying that not every manufacturer that does cast follows this process, but in some way they do to an extent. Cast, as the name implies, refers to other manufacturing processes like investment casting or lost wax. And what that means is first you start with a a wax or other brittle material prototype that this is the shape and the detail that the resulting clubhead will have after the process is complete. It's actually kind of cool because the the wax molds, I guess you could say Uh, that have been shown to me over the years, it almost looks like these things have been carved out of soap. You know, it's kind of like if you picture someone carving out a iron from this material, and it's got all the little details, even down to the lettering in some instances. And that's what your club's going to look like. And as I mentioned, they're going to then make a mold, a steel mold or a hard metal mold out of this shape. And that's what gets the whole process started. So what they do now is whatever metals are going to use to make this final product, they will then pour around or into this mold that we originally talked about. They heat things up, the metal cools, it hardens, and then they break that mold or they break the wax, which can often be coated in ceramic, by the way. That falls away and what you're left with is basically your final product clubhead. There's not a lot of additional work or detail that needs to go into assembling the golf club now. It's very different than what we talked about with the forged process. So, when you have the final product, and you want to talk about custom fitting, there are fewer options with a cast iron in comparison to a forged. You're not going to be able to bend a cast iron, for example, as much as a forged iron, because you're dealing with different metals, you're dealing with different builds, it's not one big piece of, of metal anymore in a cast. And a lot of times, a lot of manufacturers piece together different moldings to form the final product clubhead. In fact, the way it was described to me is when you want to talk about bending a lie angle, a cast iron might only be able to be bent one to two degrees, which for most golfers is enough. Now obviously technology has improved, the metals are a little bit more pliable, and there are more options if you want to play a cast iron. When it boils down to playability, one of the uh, misconceptions, because I want to cover that too, is you often hear that a cast iron you can't shape in terms of shot shape as well as a forged iron. I don't agree with that. I think that you can, because I've done it, I mean, you can shape shots as much as you want with any iron type if you've got the technique down well, you know, and let's face it, there aren't many mid to high handicappers out there that want to go and hit fades all day on certain instances or or playing conditions. For the most of us, if we just play one day a week, for example, we pretty much just want to hit that ball straight have a predictable ball flight, and work our way around a golf course. As science and engineering has improved over the years, we also run into situations where MOI, or moment of inertia, is heightened, and the amount of ball movement off of a club face is lowered. And of course, there are many other factors that contribute to that. And so it's getting closer, at least in the iron category, to where you can pretty much just go and play on autopilot almost. You're going to get a very similar ball flight every single time if hit well, right? Now, cast irons as well, they tend to be a little bit bigger, or at least they have the potential to be bigger in terms of head size. And that might turn a few players off depending on your playing preferences. Myself, I don't like to look down at an iron that looks excessively chunky or or the top line is too big. And that's something that a lot of players probably relate to. You don't want to look down if you think back to, and no disrespect to Callaway, but it's just what's coming to mind now. If you you remember the big elephant ear, great big Bertha irons, I mean, those things, those look like, well, elephant ears on the end of a stick. Most players aren't going to be comfortable hitting those. They look a little bit too large to get that golf ball in the air. But top lines are getting thin. And as many... Club fitters have told me that is what people like to see. They like to see a thin top line, and that makes a lot of sense because that's what you're looking at at a dress. So whether it be forged or cast, they're able to do that for you now. Oh, and by the way, if you're listening to this and you're a newer golfer, the top line is simply the top of the iron, basically what you see first at the end of the shaft. That's what I'm referring to. I have to keep that in mind. There might be people who don't know what that term means. So... Again, pretty high level there. There there's we've had many guests on this show that have uh, gone into greater detail on these topics. You can certainly and I uh, definitely encourage you to go and do additional research on the topics of forged and cast uh, on your own. There's a lot to learn there, and it's very exciting now to think of all the innovative approaches that club manufacturers, original equipment manufacturers are using to bring the best products to us every single year. As I've said before, there's always going to be the new shiny stuff, you know, especially this time of year. We're getting all the press releases, you're seeing all the ads in magazines, on, in commercials, hearing it on podcasts, for example. But you can find really good equipment from the last like five years on the secondhand market. There was a really good article uh, on the fried egg, actually. Um, they don't do a lot of equipment talk over there, and and it was really good because they had a... Uh, so Garrett Morrison, uh, who's been on the show in the past, as well as Ryan Barath, who's been on our show in the past. They did a great little back and forth on picking uh, golf clubs on the secondhand market to meet a specific budget. It's really fun. It's out there right now. You should go give that a read. Uh, learned a few things on that as well, and a little bit of nostalgia as well. I'm sure you could probably think about some of your favorite golf clubs from the past uh, if have played for a long time. Um, that, you know, maybe maybe we'll give those a go again. Who knows? Have fun with the game. So let me know what I missed. Let me know if there's anything that I got wrong. Uh, you can follow me on social at Golf Unfiltered and you can send me an email adam at golfunfiltered.com. Let me know. Let's keep the conversation going. Because this is a topic that you know, newer golfers often struggle with. Think about all of the options that new golfers are faced with every time that they either go into a golf store or they turn on the TV and they see those commercials I talked about. You know, that there's a lot of terms that we use and it's sometimes it helps to take a step back and be like, wow, we actually do have a lot of confusing things that are hard to explain at times to someone just learning the game. So all this talk about uh, Forged and Cast and all that, you know, it really just reinvigorated one of the things that I really love about this game. And, yeah, you know, the playing it, certainly that's priority. I also love practicing. I love going out to a range. I've talked about this before. I love just the, the act of hitting a golf ball at the range. I don't even have to be aiming at anything, which probably isn't good. <laughs> but it's kind of therapeutic. You know, you just go out there, a little bit repetitive, and... You spend a nice, you know, hour, maybe two hitting golf balls and just getting that feel. But it's also really reinvigorated my, my love of club fitting. And uh, I was excited to uh, be contacted by a friend of mine, uh, Chris, who works over at Mizuno, Mizuno Golf. And truth be told, in the past, when I first started learning the game, the first set of golf clubs that I purchased for myself where my buddy's Mizuno t Yeah, think of those. I think I paid like 300 bucks for them at the time, and that was a lot of money to me. And I think my buddy may have taken me for a little bit there. Um, but at any rate, I played those clubs for a long time, for a very long time. Loved Mizuno, and I actually ended up having additional um, you know, iron sets over the years, I remember playing the MP33s. I remember playing the MP5s. Holy cow, those were those were butter knives at the time, and uh, I don't. I had no business playing those. Let's be serious. You know, I thought I was cool. I think I called them my dream clubs at the time, and just they're just so damn pretty, right? Well, I was excited when Chris reached out to me, and we went through a fitting process over at Coghill. Uh, they have a great range over there. I've, I've talked about it a million times, but they've got all the equipment there uh, you need. And I'm not talking about clubs, but you know, they got Top Tracer. They got everything you could possibly need to see what's happening with your golf shots. And it's a fitter's dream. But they also, Chris also brought Mizuno's Golf Shaft Optimizer. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, and this is really nerdy golf stuff here, so if you're newer, just try to hang with me. Uh, it's a little device that uh, we'll talk more about. I'll have Chris back on the show uh, in a little while to talk about this in greater detail. But. Uh, Basically, it's a device that is installed on a golf shaft that gives you all the information you need about the type of golf shaft that you need. It's really cool, and I'm oversimplifying it so much, but uh, we'll talk more about it. And taking a few swings with that thing, it tells me exactly the type of golf shaft that I need, you know, the kick points, the flex points, everything at all, and then it feeds to this little computer. That Well, it's an iPad, but it's it feeds to this app on the iPad that lets you know, hey, here are all the golf shafts that Mizuno, in this case, uh, offers, and these are the ones that fit your profile. Really cool. Really, really cool. Uh, we will talk more about it in a future episode. But all of that to say, I'm actually going to be playing Mizuno Clubs here in a little while, and I know that uh, for a long time, you guys know that I played uh, Srixon and Cleveland Equipment. Um, you know, I'm going to try new stuff this year. I've tried stuff from uh, Sub 70. I think it's great. Uh, I've got a set of their irons as well. I still have sets of Strixon irons. I, I need to organize my basement. Let's just call it what it is, okay? I'm, I'm saying this right now for the benefit of my wife, who is a is a doll for for dealing with all the crap that I have in this house. But um, Mizuno is going to be in my bag a little bit later, and I'm excited about that. The new Mizuno Pro uh, line that they have is absolutely insanely good, and I have seen some pretty good-looking irons in my day, and you all have too. These are absolutely incredible in terms of design, look, aesthetic, and feel, and, you know, we've had reps from Azuno on the show in the past, and they've talked all sorts of good stuff about their, their brand, and every, all of it's true. All of it's true. So more to come on that. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a preview on a conversation we will be having soon. In the meantime, let me know how you are getting through these winter months, and I'm not talking to you all that live in like Florida and California and Arizona and the places where you're actually still playing golf. Yeah, good for you all. (laughs) I'm jealous of you. This is all just jealousy uh, right now. But um, for those of us who need to tough it out and aren't going to be playing anytime soon, let me know what you do. Adam at GolfUnfiltered.com. How do you scratch that golf itch? And, of course, if you've got any questions, no matter the topic, that you'd like me to research a little bit and then answer on this show, I am happy to do so. I think it's a fun approach. It helps me learn a few more things. It uh, reminds me of other things that I may have known And it corrects some things that I thought I knew. So I really appreciate that as well. That's all we got for this week. Take care of one another as always. Stay safe out there. I think we've turned the corner on this this terrible pandemic. Things are getting a little bit better. I don't want to jinx anything. But uh, I am so thankful for that. And I I hope that you are uh, doing well. And thanks to all of you who reached out to me as well and my wife when we had to deal with COVID. And you know what? I think we're going to get through this and that's good. And the best part is we're all going to be able to play more golf. I'm so happy to see that that, uh, that the this industry continues to be on a hot streak. I hope it's sustained. And uh, we'll even talk more about that too in a future episode. All right, all have a good week. We'll talk again soon.